the forces that gave rise to the invention of photography are really similar forces that gave rise to the industrialization of these rivers. So in some ways, the relationship between seeing and photographing these rivers and their transformation are really closely connected. My name is Michael Colster. Um, I live in Brunswick, Maine. Been making photographs uh, of the river now for four years using the wet plate collodion process. The process is one that harkens back to the very beginnings of photography. It's the second process that was invented after the daguerreotype. And uh, it involves preparing glass plates on site with the chemistry necessary for making the picture. And it's a wet process so that things are maintained in a wet state literally pouring chemistry onto a plate and trying to coax it across that plate to cover it completely. And then I'm pouring developer onto that plate after it's exposed. And again, I'm trying to coax it across the plate to cover it completely and develop that plate. And here I'm photographing a river, which is wet and moving working with physical forces to move liquid across the surface of this, this glass, which in and of itself kind of begins to resemble water a little bit, right? In terms of its translucency and its ability to reflect light and to catch light. So that almost complementary relationship between the process and the subject itself kind of fascinated me. I think that the project is about the rivers, but I think it's as much about photography as it, as it is about rivers. Photographing the Androscoggin was the first river that I started to sort of say, okay, all of a sudden, like, wow, I've been looking at and thinking about and searching for places that are changing and trying to photograph those changes over time. Well, the river is the embodiment of a changing place. It's constantly changing, it's constantly in flux, and it becomes a wonderful um, site to examine um, it as a, as a real feature in the landscape and also to think about it in terms of a metaphor. And there's something I think that's elemental about a human response and attraction to um, movement, to flux, and to uh, features in the landscape that are never still. There's a saying that you can never step into the same river twice, and that makes going to these different places that much more sort of interesting. One of the ways of becoming oriented to a new place, um, and I am from away, so one of the ways I become oriented is to walk around and to photograph, to explore it by walking around it and seeing what's there. So I think that the river became um, a way of orienting myself to this new place and begin to think about uh, what's happened in it um, before I got here. The reason why I was interested in the Androscoggin and then the other rivers that I've uh, started to photograph is because they have a long and interesting history. Um, the Androscoggin specifically was one of the 10 most polluted rivers in the United States. And that was after, you know, 100 plus years of a lot of industrial um, activity. Basically, the tradition across, you know, industrial America of using rivers as sewers. One of the consequences, of course, was the fact that the water quality in the rivers dropped horribly, uh, became a place where nothing could live, and people turned their backs to it because it was not a place that you'd even want to spend much time around. Then there's this movement in the 70s, and most notably uh, a Mainer named Edmund Muskie authored this uh, piece of legislation called the Clean Water Act. 
the Clean Water Act had a, a large role in transforming the state of uh, our rivers, especially the Androscoggin. And the thing I love about it is that the Androscoggin was the river that Muskie himself grew up along. So you could make an interesting argument the Androscoggin could be called the birthplace of the Clean Water Act, or at least one of the inspirations for its formation. I come to these places thinking that they're really wonderful, amazing places to get to know. They're really amazing. There are sections of this river that look really, really beautiful, and it is really beautiful. But at the same time, it's not a recovered or restored river. What do we do with places that we can't call pristine or pure anymore? And can we develop a new way of relating to these places that will honor um, their potentials, to acknowledge some of the ways in which they've been changed, and to find a way to uh, relate to them that doesn't demand a wilderness or a purity, but we can still commune with and enjoy and respect. This is a place that has shaped and has been shaped by centuries of people living near it.